Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Today, my guest is Ricky, and he's all the way here from California. So Ricky, (laughs) want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. It's good to be here. Um, So my name is Ricky Adamson. You can know my last name if you'd like. I was a teacher for many years. I taught French. I taught Spanish, even though I'm not fluent in Spanish. The students learned Spanish with a French accent. Um, I taught 10th and 12th grade English once and reading improvement. I taught that to middle school students who were below level. The last year that I taught, I taught three French classes and three reading improvement classes. And then while I was pursuing my PhD, I I was a teaching assistant one year, but then I was a a campus-based academic facilitator, and I was teaching in Arkansas at the time. An academic facilitator is what other schools or districts call instructional coach or instructional specialist, and I was campus-based, so I provided uh, professional development across 10 areas. And then finally, I was director of world languages for Dallas ISD before I moved into publishing, which is where I am now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you also dabble a little bit in acting, you said? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as a kid in Arkansas, I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was in first grade and a school bus driver. That's another story. But I also wanted to be an actor, but I never pursued the acting part. And I always, you know, I had this dream, even as a kid, of living in Los Angeles. And that's where I live now, where my job brought me to Los Angeles. So once I was here in Los Angeles, I thought, you're here, you know, take the acting classes. So I just completed or graduated from a two-year acting program. And um, that was fun. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. I've gone out on some auditions. I have an agent and I also, I've been in a background, I've done some background work. I was in an episode of the TV series, AP Bio. I played a waiter in it. Um, There was no speaking in it, but I was a waiter in it, which I found it kind of comical because I was cast as a waiter and other people were cast as teachers. And I'm like, I was a teacher, (laughs) but I was a waiter that day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some days in a language classroom, you are the waiter as we try to get the kids to, you know, imitate real life. And we set up our classroom like a restaurant and yes. Yeah. So memories. 
I, so, I did that many times. Any any comparisons between acting and teaching? Anything like Venn diagram overlap? <laughs> yeah, you know, there were a lot of com comparisons I could make. And here here's one. As a teacher, when, when we're up there, everything we're doing, we're trying to keep the kids engaged and motivated and teach them something, you know, whatever we're supposed to be teaching them. And I found that with acting, you're doing a lot of the same things. You are, you know, you're playing a different part. You're, you're taking on the personality and everything of that character. But in the end, you're wanting your audience to be engaged and motivated and possibly to learn more or see more. So I made, I made that comparison. And a lot of the um, just people skills that you have as a teacher, they come into play as an actor too, because it's so much more than just reading words off of the script, you know, just like teaching. Mm -hmm. It's so much more than whatever that standard is that you're teaching. I love that explanation too, Ricky, because a lot of teachers will say, you know, I just, I'm entertaining the kids. I feel like all I'm supposed to be doing is a dog and pony show or showing videos and entertaining them or acting things out and entertaining them. And, and it's so much more than that. We do it to engage them. It's not to entertain them. Just like when we watch a movie, if the actor doesn't engage us and we don't relate to that actor, like you said, with the personal, you know, skills and everything, then we're going to turn it off. We're going to go to another movie. Right. And that's the, and it's the same thing with our students in class. They're going to turn us off if we're not engaging them mm -hmm. and motivating them. And, you know, the biggest part of that for me which is an aha moment as a teacher is kids deserve to know the why, why they're learning it. And if we as teachers can't articulate why they're learning it, we kind of have to step back and we have to figure out, okay, why am I teaching this? Why, why is it beneficial for students? You know, and I saw one time I was in a PD workshop the summer before I taught, that reading class and the presenter, she mentioned that she always ended class with the word why on the board. And it was so students could reflect on why they learned what they did that day, which to me was profound. It may not seem profound, but it is because how many of us as teachers, I've been in the middle of teaching something and a kid raise, raises his hand or her hand and says, why are we learning this? <laughs> or why do I have to do this? You know, and um, it just, it just kind of brings out a, a different perspective. Like as you're creating your lessons, you now know why you're creating, mm -hmm. them, why you're creating them that way. Right. Right. And that's interesting because I was having a conversation earlier with my husband about something he was researching and it was a rabbit hole. One of those rabbit holes you go down and you get lost. And he said, you know, I just always go back to the question to try to recenter myself and get out of that rabbit rabbit hole with what's the goal? Why am I doing this? What's the goal? What is the real purpose of this? Why do I want this? whatever it is he's researching. 
and right. that's that's exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah and that's yeah. a good comparison too because otherwise we go down a rabbit hole yes so, yes so, yeah. yeah so so what did you love the most about teaching you know I, there were several things and it's always hard for me to articulate just one thing i love the most i loved my relationship with the students that has lasted all these years that they have found me on facebook years later you know and and let me know just how much i meant to them as a teacher and i loved those aha moments in class where you saw that light bulb go off in that kid's mind and just I loved creating engaging lessons. And like you said, it, it wasn't just to entertain. Um, it was, you know, it had, a, I wanted them to learn and I wanted to come up with engaging lessons that were really fruitful and also motivated them. And that was, that got my creativity going and I loved it. So I would say those things are a few of the things. <laughs> mm -hmm. What did yeah. you find most challenging then? The most challenging, I would say, uh, well, there's a couple of those too. Um, classroom management, not because I didn't have good classroom management, but you know, all it takes sometimes is, is one or two kids to derail the whole class and what's going on. And trying to figure out how to help those kids and get those two kids or, or how many on track sometimes um, could be stressful, I would say. Um, now, when they got on track, that's rewarding. Um, so it could go both ways, you know. And I think the other part that I found most challenging is, and I have to go back to, you know, when I first started teaching in 1996 and then all the way to the end. There was, it seems like in the beginning years, teachers were trusted more to do the job they were hired to do as professionals. And it seems as if as the years went on, teachers were less and less trusted. So it, it, it became to the point of you have to turn your lesson plans in every um, Monday before eight, and you have to have all the state standards written on them. And I don't, and sometimes it was what would go so far as I don't want you to just write down what the students will be doing. I want to know what the teacher's going to be doing. And then, um, you know, your lesson plan book needs to be in the upper right corner of your desk so that if I walk in, I can just pull it out and see it. And your lesson, your objective, not just your objective, but the state standard has to be on the board that you're teaching. Uh, you know, all of those things detract and take time away from me being to be creative and create those engaging lessons. And I, I use the, the um, analogy of the iceberg. You know, um, I wanted to go deep. I wanted to go to the part of the iceberg that's below surface that you don't see. I didn't just want to hit the top, you know. And when I was when time was being taken from me and other teachers in that way that I did not find beneficial for students or teachers because the students do not care what the state standard is. The objective, yes, you, they, you know, because they, 
that's important that they know where are we going with this? But they don't care and don't even understand when you put um, 1.3.21 uh, and you put a long list of words on the board that mean nothing to them and it's only for the benefit of an administrator who walks in the room. Who often may not even understand what it means as well. Right. Because as a, from my world language side of my teaching, not every administrator understands what goes into leading students on a path to proficiency and what's needed. It, and it may be different, even though, yes, there are high yield strategies that work across most content areas and, or all content areas, you, you know, you're not always going to do the exact same thing in a math class that you're going to do in a French class. And that needs to be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And it's, again, that checklist and coming in and just seeing if you have those numbers on the board. And when I was a district supervisor, teachers told me, they were like, we don't really know what those mean. We just kind of make them up and the administration doesn't know the difference. <laughs> and I was like horrified, but, but you know, it, that is the truth of it. And I know yeah. you, that's a huge district Dallas to be. Yeah. The, so what were, what were the challenges there as a, as a, an administrator, as a supervisor and how, how did you help the teachers? So in, in Dallas, uh, I, I want to say this, I, I think a lot of, first I want to say that I think a lot that urban districts get a bad rap a lot of times. Dallas was a wonderful district, but I think my challenges there were number one, getting to know 200 teachers across all of the Dallas district and also trying to meet all of their needs. And what I mean by that is when I first arrived in Dallas, the, the curriculum that was set up required teachers to complete the whole textbook in one year. And Dallas gave um, these common assessments for each semester that were the semester exams. And they were very secure, like almost like a, an achievement test in how things are done. And teachers would tell me, you know, kids are telling me I don't, that they're not getting it, but I just tell them, I'm sorry, I got to keep going because we've got to get to this point. So one challenge was changing that curriculum as best I could. Another challenge was inequity. And what I mean by that is in a, in a large district like Dallas, you can go to one school and the teachers and students have every technological um, thing possible that you could even imagine that's really a top-notch building with all the capabilities. And then you go across the district to another teacher in the district that's teaching in a building that is leaking, that all they have is a chalkboard, not a whiteboard, not a smart board, a chalkboard. Um, they, they may or may not have all of their books. And it, that was, I think, my, one of my biggest challenges. 
because how do you how how do you help this teacher over here that so desperately needs it when your hands can also be tied because you don't have the funding necessarily that you need to help them and then if you do have funding to help this one teacher do you have enough funding to help ed every other teacher in the world language department in the district that has those same needs mm -hmm. i would say that was the biggest challenge mm -hmm. that's a and that is a tough challenge to to try to overcome it's it's a little bit like being a parent and you have all of your quote unquote children and you're trying to be very not show any favoritism or preferences and they're all your children and you want them to have what they need and it, it's hard it's really hard and your hands are tied with the funding the funding's always the big thing right and it wasn't because like administration above me tied my hands to be able to help people it's just that my budget did not allow me mm -hmm to help in as much as I would like, I suppose. So. <laughs> right, right. It always comes down to the funding, even now, <laughs> the yeah. funding. Yeah. So um, right now you're doing consultant work for a publisher and you have worked with a couple of publishers. Um, so what are you hearing and seeing with teachers as far as what they're going through and what they need? Uh, um, you know, teachers right now, because, you know, it's so unprecedented, this, what we're going through in the world, actually, that teachers that I've worked with, they need concrete ideas. Of, the, of things they can do and use in their classrooms or in remote learning situations that will not sacrifice student learning, that will not, um, and also that, you know, if you've got a kid at home, but you've got kids in class, what are things you can do to make sure they're both getting what they need so I'm finding that those type things are, are what teachers need the most and they need those tools to um, engage the kids and to, but also to provide them the instruction they need. So for example, one of my friends is a biology teacher and she reached out to me because um, I work in publishing and everything and she was just asking me she said what would you do in this situation like you know with I've got these kids at home and a lot of my kids don't have internet access or they don't have a computer or they're like she's like how can I provide for them what they need that's one of the concerns teachers have they're like all of this technology and the things you're showing me that I can do are great but what about this kid that doesn't have that? So, you know, that's a concern. And I'm sure that's a concern that a lot of teachers are having. And you've probably heard that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and even like just worrying that the, the kid at home is getting enough food. Are they getting fed? Are, let alone, do they have internet access and a computer or, 
maybe their parent is working and in the same home, there's a situation I know where there's a teacher and her son are both in the same room, but the teacher is very involved with her elementary school class and her son, who is also in elementary school, is in the same room, but she's not really paying attention to what he's doing because she and he's not doing anything and he's not engaging in his lessons and the teacher is very frustrated and he has the technology but there's not the support in other ways at home so it there's so many gaps there that equity thing like do do they have access to technology do they have internet do they have wi-fi do they have a computer that they have to share among three siblings in the home or the right. parents using the one computer for their job, which is necessary. Yeah. And yeah. you know that you, you mentioned something that when the pandemic started and all the schools started closing, that I had thought of and I had made the suggestion to someone. And then, across, not because I made the suggestion, but I started seeing it happening across the country. And it had nothing to do with me. I want to say that. Um, because I didn't like put it out there for people, but I was glad to see that school districts had the same idea I had in terms of, you know, yeah, there's kids that they rely on school for their food, for breakfast, lunch, whatever. But also there's employees of the school who now have been laid off because they're not needed because kids are learning from home. And I, so I was glad to see, you know, that districts were employing their school bus drivers to run their daily routes to deliver the food. And that's something I had, you know, I was telling someone, I said, I think they should just, you know, the bus drivers still need to be a job and they need to be paid. Why not have them run their bus routes and deliver the food for the kids on their bus routes, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I see a lot of districts have done that. And then the other thing I I liked, you were talking about, equity they've made those school buses uh wi-fi hotspots and they park those buses in different locations throughout the district during the day so that the kids have access to wi-fi mm-hmm. you know so i do that really it gives me a lot of pride in having been a teacher and still being in the profession because just those things you see that educators went above and beyond to try the best they could to make sure that students' needs were met. And creatively. And creatively. Like you said, taking the bus with a Wi-Fi hotspot and going into a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And teachers are so creative. We're okay. great problem solvers. We figure things out. We have to because we don't have those resources. And we're trying right. to brainstorm and think, how can I get that? kid what he or she needs yeah and that's always a challenge and i love how you talk about the school buses because we're going to segue into that because i know you you have some school buses and and one of the things when i first met you that just came across so strongly is how much you loved school you loved learning you created lifelong connections to classmates and colleagues and just everything related to school. And I know you post on Facebook pictures from your yearbook and you tag yes. people that were there and you keep those memories going. And that is something that school 
does is it builds memories that then can be points to refer back to to build character yes and make good choices in the future i feel very strongly in that way and also an, another just one other uh -huh. thing to think about is mentioning the school bus drivers and such i know this is teacher tales but i've had my daughter say you know there are so many other people at the school that have such an impact on kids. Mm -hmm. Like there was a custodian at a school I was at and she, she's still a very dear friend of mine. And every day when I had a bad day, when she came in just to empty the trash or clean mm -hmm. my room, she would always ask, how was your day? Yeah. Tell me about your day. And she would just listen and just her listening was so wonderful. The school bus drivers, those kids see those bus drivers every day. They have a, they have a, a, a chance to have an impact. Oh, so yeah. talk about that. Let's talk about your school buses. Okay, so I grew, you know, I grew up in Arkansas, as I mentioned. And my grandmother, well, and my grandfather, they were school bus drivers. They worked for the school district. And my grandmother also worked in the cafeteria. Well, we lived out in the country so they kept their buses at home okay the you know the buses belonged to the school district but my grandmother's route started from her house my grandfather's route started from the house and went the other direction so it's like they left the driveway and just went opposite directions and um so growing up my grandmother's bus especially was my playground and i, I loved playing on her bus i loved it and I was just always fascinated with the buses. And so, you know, I, I wanted to teach and drive a school bus, as I mentioned, from an early age. And the, the thing about the buses is my grandmother, she retired uh, when I was 16 from driving the bus. And years later, the school district had kind of fallen on some hard times. And so they that one of the first things they stopped buying financially were school buses and um, the fleet was aging. So finally, nine years after my grandmother retired, they sold her bus that she drove and I bought it. So, um, and what's one of my things that really touches me about it is that for years, as a kid, I would go the, you know, like the day before school started, I would go with my grandmother down to the bus shop to pick up her bus and bring it home. And on the day that I bought her bus, she went with me down to the bus shop and rode her bus with me driving it to bring it home. Oh, what a great memory. And, and you know, you know, you mentioned bus drivers, you know, bus drivers are really unsung heroes. And I drove a bus for many years when I was teaching too. But I think back, my grandmother drove for 30 years. And to this day, kids that they're all grown now, but that rode her bus still, they'll comment when I post a picture of her or say something about her bus on Facebook. And they, with positive, good memories they have of her, that she had that kind of impact on them and school bus drivers they are the first person from the school that most kids see every day 
And for kids who are coming from really challenging situations and the, the place that is, you know, a, peace, a, a place of peace and calm and hope of a better future is school. And it's the school bus driver that is that symbol of hope that they see every day taking them from this challenging situation to school. And so, you know, they often don't get the, the credit they deserve. You know, I'm 46 years old now, and I still call and talk to my first grade teacher. I still write cards to and email my kindergarten teacher. And I'm in contact with almost every teacher that I had kindergarten through 12th grade because those are the ones to me that are my heroes. And they're the reason I became a teacher. And those teachers, every single one of those teachers helped create the teacher I became. Mm -hmm. You know, I live in Los Angeles, so it's not uncommon to go to the grocery store and see a celebrity. But for me, I see them and yeah, it's exciting. But you know what's even more exciting for me? is when I get to see one of my teachers from kindergarten through 12th grade, when I happen to be in my hometown or, or, or life just allows it to happen that I haven't seen in so long. That is what excites me. And, and if you put a celebrity over here to the left and you put one of my teachers over to the right and they said, you can go see one of them. I would go see one of my teachers every single time because they made the difference in my life. Mm -hmm. I have a funny story to tell you about that. So, you know, I've always advocated for languages and I go to JNCL every year and go to visit my favorite legislators in DC. Mm -hmm. And one time I was invited to go down onto the floor and meet with my congressman because they were having a vote. And so I went to the little underground thing and was saying, it was so exciting. And I got there and I was talking to the legislator and everything, and he was going to go talk to somebody else after me. And and he said that, and he was trying to engage me in Spanish and use his Spanish and everything. And he said, you know, I ha- I'm sorry, I have to go. I have to meet with this person over here. And he pointed and I looked and I thought it was one of my former students. And I was so excited and I was like, I want to come over and talk to him too. I, that's my student. That's my, and then I looked again and it was Apollo Ono and oh. <laughs> the Olympic <laughs> skater. And he goes, well, he's really famous and I don't know. And I was like, oh, I don't want to meet him. I thought that was my student. <laughs> I got all excited. I was going to see my student because yeah. they're my heroes and yeah. you become their heroes. That's the relationship we have with, yeah. with, with them. It is. And, you know, just some of my my students, in addition to my grandmother's bus, I bought the bus I drove. They sold it a couple of years ago and they called me from Arkansas. Here I am in California. And they said, we're about to sell your bus. Do you want to buy it? And I'm like, yes. So the kids that rode my bus, several of them, when I go home this year uh, at Christmas, they want me to take them for a ride like old times on the bus they rode and me driving it. Mm-hmm. So I am so looking forward to that because it's like, you know, 
I cherish those kids. And I've all I've t mentioned before that not today, but I on Facebook and stuff that, you know, the kids I taught in class and the kids that rode my school bus, to this day, I consider them mine. And I celebrate their successes. And I mourn their uh, challenges. And, uh, you know, when things happen to them. So it, it is I'm like, you know, just because you were in my class for a season or you rode my bus for a season. Yeah, physically, but you are in my life forever because I won't forget you, you know, and I think that's how most teachers are. That's what makes teachers so special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree so much. I agree. Sometimes we talked about those challenging things at home and the bus driver is the first one that the kid sees for the day and it can make or break their whole day depending on whether it's a welcoming, inviting, I'm so happy to see you. And yeah. the same thing with a teacher or if they're yelling at them and telling them to get off the bus and, you know, whatever yeah. the situation is. Yeah. And, and kids learn, they learn their value in the world from the adults they encounter every day. Right. And it isn't, it, most adults don't consider that. They don't take that into consideration working with children, but teachers do. And those mm -hmm. are the memories that the kids can fall back on. Like I said, when they're adults and say, you know, Mr. Adamson, he really, I loved his bus. I, he always welcomed me. He always made mm -hmm. me feel like a good person. And, and he spoke French to me all the time. And I still remember my French and I was able to use it in a restaurant and talk to the French waiter and it impressed everyone. It's all about that value that they see of themselves in the world. It is. And, you know, I made mistakes along the way. We all do. And, you know, there's moments in time that still stand in my mind. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and do that differently. You know, like maybe I was having a bad day. And I did take it out, you know, and it's like, but I did try whenever, if I had a bad day and, and, you know, I was in the wrong, I always tried to make sure that I told the kids, I'm sorry. I, mm -hmm. you know, I was having a bad day and I shouldn't have taken that out on you. Or if, you know, there was an instance I, I think about this on the on my bus where there was a little boy I think he was in about second third grade at the time and it was when those like Pokemon cards were big and he would bring them on the bus and he thought I was being mean because I would tell him I'd say keep those put away don't have them out on the bus but the reason I didn't want him to have them out on the bus, and occasionally I would have to take them from him and I would just keep them till I got off the bus and he would cry. But the reason I would take it from him is because I knew there were a couple of kids on that bus who would steal them. And so it's like, okay, did I handle that the right way or not? Because I just didn't want his stuff to be stolen. And I felt like the best way I could prevent that because if I'm driving the bus, I can't see every single thing at every moment. So I would tell him, put them away, or I would take them and keep them till he got off the bus. And it's, but it still haunts me because he cried over it, mm -hmm. you know, and I meant no harm, but I still, that's just one of those moments that I'm like, 
uh, I wish there was, I, you know, he- you know, I couldn't very well tell him we have some thieves on the bus. So you've got to watch, you know, the kid sitting behind you, you know, that's wouldn't be professional of me. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know. It's just things like that. I still reflect on those things. But they have to see that we're human. And I think if we apologize and we show that we're human, what I've found reflecting a lot on teaching and just the educational system in general anymore is that we have this grading scale up mm-hmm. to 100. And 100 is A plus, perfect. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's what everybody is striving for. Yeah. And there is no perfect. No. There is no perfect. And the message we're sending kids is that everything needs to be perfect. They need to be perfect. Their papers need to be perfect. We need to be perfect. Yeah. There's no perfect. And they need to see that because then they're going to be able to accept things better, uh, grow, mm-hmm. and not get stuck. Right. And, and, take, and it'll take a little pressure off of them. Mm-hmm. You just realize there is no perfect. No one is perfect. Nope. You know, do the best you can and be, be satisfied that you've done the best you can. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always strive to do more or do better, but don't let that keep you awake at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the, the kids pick up on that. I've seen teachers that'll say, Today, we're going to do long division, and they call it long division for a reason. It's going to take a long time for us to learn this, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to feel really frustrated sometimes, and then other times, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I get this, and you're going to celebrate, and then you're going to be, oh no, I don't get this again, and that's, that's part of the journey. And that's part of learning math. And it's okay. And I want you to know that before we even start. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's amazing. I love that. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's giving them permission to be human. Yeah. And that sounds a lot like, it's funny you mentioned long division because that sounds exactly how my uh, third grade teacher was. Like she really was, a, she challenged us and she was a cheerleader and she was patient when we were learning those things. And, uh, you know, just a quick little story on that. I remember the day we learned long division and she called on me to go to the overhead projectors. That shows you how long ago it was. Um, And she had put a problem on the overhead projector, a, a division problem. And she had me do it. And she had me talk through it as I did it. You know, like two goes into six three times. Three times two is six. Six minus six is zero. So forth. And I vividly remember as I was getting close to the end, she was getting more and more excited and you could see it on her face and her body language. And when I got the question, I I completed the problem correctly. She jumped up and down and she cheered and she was so excited. That has always stuck out to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And just those little things and teachers think that, they're not making a difference and they don't have an impact, but every, in every moment and every choice, Mm -hmm. they do. They do. And Miss Elder, that was her name. She, um, she made a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I know when I was an AP teacher, 
and this is something I've reflected on as well, how we often look for that perfection. We look for that 100%. Mm-hmm. We look for ticking that box and saying, yes, I can do this and I'm proficient at it or I've mastered it. I do not believe in mastery. I don't think there is such a thing as mastery of something. That's just my own personal opinion and experience. So when they get to AP, they have this daunting exam they have to take and they're very scared and they feel like I'm never going to be able to do this really hard thing. Uh And what I found to be very effective in confidence building was for them to go back, for all of us to go back and look at what they had achieved in in the prior levels leading up to that. Let's look at the project you did like in level three in Spanish three or French three, or let's look at, you know, we're doing long division now. Let's go back and look at addition. Look at how easy it is now and how hard it was before. It's a journey and look at how much you have covered and how much you've grown. And yes, you're still going to be able to do it. You're just not there yet, but you get there. get there. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, life is a journey. It's a never-ending journey of learning. You're always learning something. And as teachers, we're always learning. And like, yes, okay, maybe I did teach this in a great way, but okay, now what's my next? What can I learn now to push it to the next level and so forth? I think that's one of the fun things about teaching too. (laughs) It is. And, you know, we use almost like a cliche now, lifelong learners. But life is learning. And even as old as I am now, I'm still learning. And I look forward to learning, even through the challenging times. Like the pandemic has taught me a lot of things. Not all been pleasant, but I have learned through the challenging things and the things that weren't so pleasant to appreciate the things that are easier and are pleasant and to enjoy the little things around me that I didn't maybe notice before. And yeah. that, that's part of the learning. And when I stop learning and growing, I figure then I'm dead. So uh, I'll keep going even through the challenges because I'm yeah. learning and that's growing. Right. Yeah. That's right. And that's looking on the positive side of things. There's always something to learn. Yeah, you know? there is. There really is. Mm-hmm. So, so here's to learning in the future and learning more about other teachers with the podcast. I know you were talking about um, maybe a podcast that you might do to so I'm yeah. just going to put it out there so that people can stay tuned. And I know we're recording this now on yeah. World Teachers Day. This is really yes, wonderful. But it's uh, not going to be released for a little while. So I'll put things in the footnotes later on when you have things more solidified. But tell me about that. Yeah, what, do you, what do you want to do for teachers with that? So what I'm wanting to do, and, and this all came about with the pandemic too, it, as teachers reached out to me needing help and needing ideas, I it's like my master's degree, interestingly, you know, a bachelor's degree in French to teach French, a master's degree in mass communication to do uh, broadcast journalism, like TV news, and then a PhD in curriculum and instruction with a world language emphasis. Well, I'm like, okay, why not use that the broadcast journalism side of things to create some quick little videos of of teaching strategies like no more than two minutes something that teachers can quickly watch get an idea use it if they if they can or pass it on to someone else 
across all content areas, you know, um, like maybe one tip might be on, te on teaching struggling readers and another tip might be on teaching French, you know, um, I mean, I doubt that I can give you a strategy for teaching physics, but we're not going to go into the, you know, solving the problems of physics or whatever. <laughs> but, um, so that's my, my idea. Um, and also a place I can share those uh, memories I have of school too. Because I think with the memories, it helps us all remember why we do what we do even if it's someone else's school memory it reminds us of you know i want my kids in my class to think back and reflect fondly on what's going on or how i taught them or how i cared you know and so um it's going to kind of be a combination of both mm -hmm. i think yeah. that's wonderful I love that idea. And it's just a couple of minutes, like a spark. Teachers don't have a lot more time than that. And yeah. that's the same purpose with the teacher tales. I'm hoping that it, and I know it already has. I've heard a lot of feedback. It's gaining in popularity, getting a lot more uh, listens yeah. and being spread. And a lot of people asking to be a guest to share their story. And, and, and so it's becoming an archive of inspiration, and that's exactly what I intended it for. That's, and that's, that's perfect the why. Yeah, yes. archive of inspiration, that's perfect. Yeah, because there are days that they're face-planted, and that's just what they need to listen to. That's what I've heard. Yes. So, and not too long, so I guess we should wrap it up. Okay. And yeah. we're going to wrap it up with a fill-in-the-blank. Okay. No perfect answers, no multiple choice, just keeping in the, the spirit of teaching, no checklists or any data, any mm -hmm. of that stuff. So just complete my, my sentence. Okay. Teaching is? An art form. And I say that going back to, you know, I, I completed a two-year acting program. And just like actors, take what's on that page and they bring it to life with their creativity and as artists. That's what we as teachers do. We take what's either in the textbook or what's in the curriculum we're creating or the pacing guide and using our creativity as artists, as te teaching artists, we bring it to life and we make it relevant to students and engaging to students. I, I love that. And it, I'm just going to expand on that a little bit with that old expression, those who can do and those who can't teach. I hated that expression because, and still do, not everyone can teach. No, no, they it can't. Is, it, takes a, it really mm -hmm. takes someone who has been called from the heart, who has a teacher yeah. heart, and can totally craft that art of teaching. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right. So I hope my students remember me as someone that genuinely cared for them. I hope my colleagues remember me as someone um, who went the extra mile 
for my students and for them as my colleagues? The biggest change that needs to happen in education is? Ending all of this, um, all this testing needs, that needs to end. <laughs> Period. Period. Mike dropped right wow. there. <laughs> Off the stage, that's it. <laughs> the greatest thing about teaching I want the world to know is? Um, the ability to have a positive impact on children, a positive, long-lasting impact on children. And you have certainly done that. And with oh, colleagues and with everyone you come in contact with, you really do. You have such a positive impact and it's long-lasting. So oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you for that. that. So we'll be looking for your podcast. Okay and yeah. inspiration will spark for teachers to keep them going keep that fire inside going and um and so i wish you the best of luck and thank well, thank you, you. So i appreciate it and thank you for having me on i have really enjoyed this good good i i this is my this is my spark that keeps me going especially during the pandemic it's been wonderful to just talk to people who have the same heart connection and, yeah. and and it's all about kids and it is teachers are a special group yes they are yes they are <laughs>